From the Carnegie Tsinghua Center in Beijing, China, this is the China in the World podcast, hosted by Paul Hanley. Welcome to part two of my discussion with Dr. Michael Green on the China and the World podcast. During the part two discussion, Dr. Green and I analyze U.S. and Chinese approaches to the North Korea nuclear problem. We explore different proposals which could work to make progress on the issue and improve U.S.-China cooperation along the way. We also turn our attention to the upcoming summit between President Trump and Chinese President Xi in early April in Mar-a-Lago. Our conversation picks up where we left off on part one of the discussion, and if you haven't done so already, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to part one as well. On North Korea, we have seen since February now the North Koreans have done just this month alone two missile tests, one one which included multiple missiles. North Korea and the leadership is widely assumed to be behind the assassination of Kim Jong Nam, the half brother of the leader Kim Jong Un. Diplomatic relations during the time of your visit here to Beijing、uh, between Malaysia and North Korea have deteriorated to the point that neither country now will allow their respective citizens to leave.、Um, following the latest missile test, we saw the U.S. and South Korea begin to roll out the first pieces of the missile defense system, the THAAD system, in South Korea. President Trump got on the phone, talked to the Japanese Prime Minister, the acting South Korean president. They emphasized U.S. ironclad commitment to stand with Japan and South Korea in the face of the serious threat posed by North Korea. The Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi held a press conference yesterday,、uh, called on North Korea to suspend its nuclear program, but at the same time he cautioned the United States in unusually frank language to say that the United States and South Korea should not deploy this THAAD system, vehemently, vehemently opposed by the Chinese side. And he used a phrase saying the two sides are like two accelerating trains coming towards each other. The question is, are the two sides really ready for a head-on collision? From your discussions this week, I'd like to listeners to get a sense of your main takeaways in terms of the Chinese position. How frustrated are they with the North? What, if anything, are they willing to do about it? Why are they opposed to the missile defense system? And how much tension do you think this will cause in the relationship? That China has both with the U.S. and South Korea. You know, in early 2005, President Bush sent me from the White House to Asia with、uh, letters for the leaders of、uh, China and Japan and Korea. And when I came to Beijing, I was、um, uh, taken to deliver the letter in person to President Hu Jintao, which was a surprise to me and a big uh, uh, change in protocol, given that I was just.、Um, Uh, special assistant to the president, and、um, later、uh, North Korea that week, North Korea tested missiles, and the New York Times said it was because I seems got, to happen every time. Well, the New York Times、China. actually had an article where someone said it was because Hu Jintao saw me. <laughs> <laughs>、um, so maybe you made a mistake inviting inviting you. Yeah. Well, <laughs>、um, so anyway,、um, look,、uh, Wang Yi, who、uh, went to Georgetown University where I teach, and、mm. who I worked with in the six party talks process, is a、uh, Is a very experienced diplomat, very knowledgeable.、Um, his metaphor is wrong. This is not like two、um, speeding trains heading towards each other. This is like a speeding train heading towards a giant mountain. And the speeding train is、hmm. North Korea, and the giant mountain is the U.S. and the U.S. alliance system. 
And if China doesn't want a big collision, uh, it's going to have to focus on slowing down that train, slowing down mm. Kim Jong-un's rapidly accelerating tests of missiles, yeah. nuclear weapons, and his demonstration in Malaysia that he's prepared to use biological warfare. Uh, Kim Jong-nam was reportedly killed with VX agent, which yeah. is a biological agent that that North Korea has and could mount on missiles mm -hmm. to hit U.S. Mm -hmm. forces or Japan. Um, that mountain, uh, the U.S., the U.S.-Korea alliance, U.S.-Japan alliance, is not going to move. And um, the move that was made to deploy THAAD to Korea, um, our ongoing exercises Korea, with Korea, um, uh, a likely increase in defense spending and um, uh, resources mm -hmm. for uh, this region by the U.S., and increasing U.S.-Japan-Korea cooperation, including on missile defense. All these things are going to keep happening because the mountain, it, it can yeah. see a collision coming, and people on the mountain are putting up more bricks and more stones mm -hmm. to defend themselves. Mm -hmm. um, the Chinese side has made very clear its opposition to that deployment. But um, the American president, no American president, is going to remove Thad because of Chinese objections. Of course, <clears throat> it is an important goal for the U.S. and for South Korea to work with China to help resolve this problem. But the highest moral uh, responsibility of any leader is to protect their people. Mm -hmm. And that's true for the U.S. and it's true for South Korea. And China's uh, proposal, uh, Wang proposal, with all respect, to freeze missiles, uh, missile launches in exchange for a decrease in U.S.-Korea mm -hmm. exercises is not going to be accepted by Seoul or Washington because both the U.S. and Korea have to defend ourselves. And we're not going to say, well, in order to accelerate or ex help China with diplomacy, we're going to leave our troops exposed to this guy, Kim Jong-un, who clearly mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is willing to use nerve agents uh, continue developing nuclear weapons and ballistic missiles. Mm -hmm. Impossible. And I think basically impossible in South Korea. Talk and about so South I, Korea, I, because yeah. a lot of people talk about South Korea, the political turmoil right now that you see in South Korea, the fact that a potentially liberal candidate could be, come into office and potentially change <coughs> their policy with respect to North Korea, be more accommodating, try to try to do more with the North, um, maybe move away from that. Is that a possibility in your mind? You hear a lot of this in China. It may be wishful thinking. I'd be interested to get your perspective. Uh, wishful thinking. Um, Korea is a, a divided political uh, uh, culture. The left and right are, are at odds. Um, and um, perhaps people in Beijing thought if they keep raising opposition to that, they can um, carry out a classic united front strategy and isolate the conservatives who are strongly supportive of Thad and build up opposition to Thad among mm. liberals and progressives and business, uh, it didn't work. It had the they're opposite putting, effect. They're putting quite a bit of pressure on South Korea through economic means and it's a big tourism. It's, um, a, it's a big mistake. Um, yes, Korea is a smaller country than China and, and, and depends on uh, the Chinese uh, economy for mm -hmm. its growth. But again, the... Korean government's highest obligation is to defend their people. And this threat is, is very serious, not mm -hmm. only for U.S. forces, but of course for South Korea. And I think the Chinese side completely miscalculated. Because even if the progressive camp wins, mm -hmm. no Korean president can say, we're going to disarm in the face of this North, mm -hmm. North Korean threat. 
it, it's not going to happen. Um, and I think I think that uh, the Chinese side knows that. Yeah. I think they know they miscalculated. Um, I think that you'll see them soften their tone. The public now is quite angry about that yeah. because of a lot of you know frankly misinformation uh, about the Thad system and uh, and there will be some bumps in the Japan excuse me in the China Korea relationship. But it's in China's interests to yeah. get past that because they're just driving Korea closer to Japan, closer to the U.S., and building up resistance to China mm. within Korean politics. I've been struck by the kind of things that they've been doing with South Korea. The Latte department store, they've sort of stopped construction of that in the northeast part of China. Yeah. South Korean airlines, I think Jeju Airlines, was looking for new routes into sure. China. They, they disapproved those. They're lowering the number of tourists going to South Korea. They're apparently coming right out of the uh, tourism ministry, these... These announcements, it's um, it's clearly you know economic pressure um, that they're applying to South Korea to change the political calculus of of political leaders in in South Korea. It's the kind of thing that we're sort of asking the Chinese to do to North Korea, but they say they're sort of principally against uh, right, right. sanctions and economic uh, <laughs> pressure. If you were uh, sitting in the National Security Council now, as senior director for Asia, writing the memo for General McMaster's and President Trump on the kind of ways we should move forward to get the North Koreans to stop and reverse and, and eliminate the North Korean nuclear program. What's the what, what are the elements of the strategy that you would recommend? Well, let me first quickly touch on this um, uh, retribution or retaliation against Korean firms. This is a very mm. um, self-defeating move uh, by the Chinese side. Um, either by fomenting popular uh, boycotts or by actively having a hand in them. The Chinese government risks two uh, long-term consequences. One is um, Korean companies will be much more hesitant about investing in China. The assessment of political risk right. will go up. Um, and frankly, the Koreans will do what the Japanese did when this happened to them, which is diversifying their investment to India, to Vietnam, and, and especially to North America. And the Koreans are good businessmen, and they're going to factor in this as a long-term risk, even mm -hmm. if even if it stops in a few months. Mm -hmm. um, the second effect is that um, for those in the United States or Japan who think we should be using economic tools against China, we don't. We don't, you know, single out the Chinese firms that were involved in the dredging in the South China Sea. Um, but those there there are voices in Washington and Tokyo and even in the in Europe in some places that are saying to get China mm -hmm. to uh, change its behavior we need to target mm -hmm. companies and punish them and for the most part businesses well and, you hear that in the context of North Korea of course the secondary not just North sanctions Korea, South but China I mean, Sea right Taiwan but, human rights so if if China uses these mercantile mm -hmm. sort of weapons if then it uses economic as weapons they open themselves so up. Because the, the U.S. system is much more um, it's much more difficult to use mm -hmm. economic tools, frankly, because mm -hmm. our private sector is so important, Congress and state governors. Sure. But China is going to find that in the U.S., this creates yeah. more support for doing to China what China is doing to South Korea, right. which would not be good. Uh, on the on the memo to McMaster's, yeah. uh, I would say number one, um, uh, we um, we have got to um, defend our people. Mm -hmm. And our allies, mm -hmm. and that is a much higher priority than dialogue. Mm -hmm. And we're not, and we won't trade our defense and security and deterrence against this very dangerous and growing threat 
in order to get diplomacy because you and I have worked in the six-party talks, Paul. We, they're important. We work very hard on them. It's pretty obvious now that you get very, very limited mm-hmm. returns, if any returns at all, on diplomacy. Mm-hmm. So that's number one. Uh, number two, um, let's try to think of ways that we can limit the North Korean threat. Um, we're not, in the longer term, medium to long term, we need to set up a condition through sanctions and pressure, and, and yes, perhaps some dialogue, that we convince North Korea to give up nuclear weapons. But in the foreseeable future, that is just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And our strategy has been aimed at that, at trying to get them to change their calculation and give up nuclear weapons. That's not going to happen in the, under Kim Jong-un. Um, and so let's it shift It won't happen bit. through dialogue by itself. That's for and, sure. And I'm frankly skeptical that pressure, that we or China can mount enough pressure that Kim Jong-un will decide he'll give up nuclear weapons. I just think for his survival, he sees them as too important. Mm-hmm. We should, that's a longer term strategy. Right. We should look at creating the pressure and diplomatic um, environment where he, just, he or his successor decide it's not worth having nuclear weapons. We should constantly do that. But in terms of results, we're, we're talking a longer term sure. prospect. Sure. So in the near term, what we ought to focus on, I would say to General McMaster's, is let's get some immediate reduction of the threat. Mm-hmm. Not with a freeze or something that North Korea can easily violate and that would require us to... Um, to not do our first priority, which is right. defending ourselves, not something like that. Let's find some very specific mm-hmm. cases where the U.S. and China mm-hmm. and other like-minded countries intercept North Korean ships, stop North Korean planes, produce um, containers or cargo holds with missile parts, with precursors mm-hmm. for um, reprocessing, uh, with... Um, Things related to North Korea's uh, missile and nuclear programs, consistent, entirely consistent with the authorities of the UN Security Council resolutions. Let's do that. Let's showcase it. Let's show that U.S. and China are working together to reduce the threat, mm. not for regime change, but to, to, to like like policemen mm-hmm. to catch the robbers. Yeah, I think if you if, if China really did that, the American public would then I think Congress and the American public would say, okay, we're on the same side with China. They're helping us in very specific ways, catch the bad guys, dangerous materials. And, you know, this is not easy work. Right. Our Chinese friends tell us this is hard work. But that's exactly why it's so important and would be so uh, powerful as a symbol of U.S.-China cooperation. So the presidents, apparently President Trump and President Xi, um, word is that they're going to meet fairly soon, uh, maybe in the U.S., potentially in Mar-a-Lago. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a North Korea policy right. review ongoing in the interagency being led by the National Security Council. Um, you expect this to be on the agenda? Uh, what, what would you expect to see at this first meeting between the two presidents? You've also talked this week about Prime Minister Abe from Japan, his successful trip to mm-hmm. the United States, went to Washington, D.C., they flew down on Air Force One to Mar-a-Lago, did, I think, 36 rounds of golf. Um, they seem to have figured out how to have a good visit. What lessons should the Chinese take away from that? So Abe had a very good visit. So did uh, Prime Minister Trudeau of Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one reason is because they are very strong politically at home. And there's not that much anti-American nationalism uh, in Japan, really. And so they had room, both of them, to, um, to, uh, to work on the relationship and not produce a result. Yeah. Uh, although Abe did get one. Um, so, uh, I think Xi Jinping is in a strong position politically, but I think there's more, 
popular uh, anti-Americanism and nationalism in China that will make, frankly, it make him limit what he can do. He'll have to look strong mm-hmm. in a way Abe or Trudeau didn't. Um, but that said, I still think he can have a pretty successful summit. Um, I think he should avoid asking for things or mm-hmm. demanding things. Mm-hmm. Uh, that will trigger Donald Trump's mm-hmm. negotiating. We saw this from ball. the Australian Prime Minister. Australian Prime Minister, the, the Mexican call. President. Big mistake. Mm-hmm. Understandable, but big mistake asking for things or, 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 or uh, you know, the one China policy uh, confirmation, that's enough for now. I think what, who, what Xi Jinping should spend his time on is, number one, reviewing U.S.-China relations. Mm-hmm. You know, Trump's criticism of Japan was based on the 1980s. He really doesn't know much about modern Japan. And Abe-san spent about 70% of the meeting talking and describing what's going on in Asia, what's going on in mm-hmm. Japan. I think without demanding or pressing, just simply reviewing U.S.-China relations, the benefits, some mm-hmm. of the difficult areas... You know, especially the benefits. Well, my sense is, if, if they, if if President Xi talks about what he's trying to accomplish here at home, here in China, very good idea with respect to their economic reforms and uh, creating yeah. jobs, and there seemed, I would think, there would be some uh, crossover. As you recall, uh, uh, Jiang Zemin did that with President Bush and it had a big impact. Jiang yeah. and President Hu described what they're trying to achieve in China. Twenty-five million jobs, I think, was every year. Yeah, yeah. The president remembered that. He wrote in his book that, yeah. that, that, that the number one thing that those two leaders thought about was yeah. how do we create twenty-five million new jobs? Exactly. Um, so I think that's a good idea. President Xi should describe his reform plans, his domestic mm-hmm. uh, aspirations. Um, don't uh, don't you know negotiate uh, right away. Um, and then you know what Abe did in creating a long. Uh, Range strategic dialogue and economics between Vice President Pence and Deputy Prime Minister Asso is kind of an interesting model. I personally don't think that the uh, the Trump administration will continue the strategic and economic dialogue. Mm. I kind of doubt they'll do that, um, and I don't think the Chinese side should put too much weight on that. You know, it's a different president. It's important to have the more important than the structure is getting the right people on the two sides talking. So um, a good outcome for U.S.-China relations would be some kind of initial mm-hmm. um, thought about who on each side would, would form a dialogue um, and I think report China, back to the presidents. So I think the Chinese side has expressed their hope that the strategic and economic dialogue right. continues. Um, and so it will be interesting to see what the administration does. I mean, I, I agree with you. I think it requires, you know, relooking at this thing to see how it can be done in a way that's frankly more effective uh, for the U.S. and for and for the relationship. So the question is, what do they do the first round? Do they do they keep it the first round and then discuss together what new framework they could put together, or do they sort of uh, cancel it uh, without anything in 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 mind in terms of what to do going forward? Um, I have no opposition to the strategic and economic dialogue. Mm-hmm. But I think if that become if if the relationship waits for the strategic and economic dialogue to start up again, we'll have a huge uh, vacuum. Mm. So I just don't think it should the relationship needs to hang on that structure. I think it's more important that the two leaders establish some trusted confidence the way Bob Zelik and mm-hmm. Dai Bingwo or mm-hmm. Hillary Clinton and Dai Bingwo had strategic dialogue and uh, begin reviewing the relationship and mm. put it in, 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 a, in a process, and very important that the, the Japanese asked for Vice President Pence. They were mm-hmm. worried that Peter Navarro or more nationalistic or mercantilistic right. people would immediately try to negotiate trade 
concessions, so on right. and so forth. Important to have trusted um, counterparts. Uh, counterparts talk yeah. about the long-term vision for U.S. China relations. Don't announce a big new model of great power relations. Don't look for a big headline or yeah. a big six-character phrase. Start getting the right people together to begin building in the pieces and report back to the presidents and get a process going. Strategic and economic dialogue, that'll take too long to start mm. up. There'll be a vacuum. Mm. Uh, there'll be huge fights in the U.S. about who's in it and who's out. So what should we expect at this first meeting then? I mean, what's your sense? Good photo. Photo op. A photo op. Um, uh, the, the, the Xi Jinping is not going to have the same warm relationship that Abe did. It's just, mm-hmm. they're different people. The relationships yeah. are different. And I don't think President Xi plays golf, although I don't know. Not that I'm aware of. Um, Seems to me the most important thing is he's seen by the Chinese people, at least, to be, be, be being treated with respect by the U.S. president. Yeah. I mean, and that was true for Trudeau and for Abe. They needed yeah. to show their publics they were treated with respect, and yeah. they were. Yeah. So I think, in some ways, that may be the most important thing, just sort right. of show a certain amount of respect. Um, and and, um, and, and uh, I like your idea to describe what she's trying to do with the Chinese economy, um, listen to Donald Trump asking what his vision is as two leaders try to understand each other yeah. and try to come out of this with some idea who between the two governments can continue the dialogue, not in a huge SNED, but in some something mm-hmm. like the Zelic Diving Guo dialogue to prepare for the next meeting and the meeting after that. Great. Well, Mike, we've uh, really enjoyed having you out here in Beijing this week and uh, would love for you to come back. Thank you for doing the China and the World podcast uh, second go around. We welcome you back for a third go around. Really enjoyed uh, talking to you about these issues today. Thank you for spending time with the center. That's it for this edition of the Carnegie Tsinghua China and the World podcast. I encourage you to explore our site and see the work of all our scholars at the Carnegie Tsinghua Center. I also encourage you to buy and read Mike Green's new book, By More Than Providence, Grand Strategy in American Power in the Asia Pacific in 1783. I think it's available on Amazon and Kindle. Is that right? Uh, Apparently, you can get it faster in China and Japan than you can in the U.S. (laughs) Well, thanks for listening, and and be sure to tune in next time. Thanks again. Thank you.